0: Go ahead and open uh, your Bibles this morning to Psalm 19, which is page 383 in your Pew Bibles. Psalm 19, mm-hmm. page 383. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 7 through 11 this morning. Psalm nineteen starting in verse seven says this the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Well, I want to begin this morning by just asking you a question. When you read a, a, a passage like that, it's just pretty, um, you know, vividly describing God's word in some pretty, you know, lively uh, language there. What is going on inside of you uh, as you hear that? Um, And then maybe to take it a step further, why do you think you react the way you react? So this morning when I read that out loud to you and you read across it, what if anything was going on inside of you as you heard those words? And then where do you think that feeling came from? Anybody have Anything? Yeah, Kendra. Okay, so for some people, there's this excitement because there's a hope maybe that if we can figure out how to live that way, that that our lives might be different. Yeah, Aaron. Okay, so there's a, maybe a little disconnect between what it's saying, what it's describing, and what you experience on a day to day basis. So there, maybe there's some disappointment there in ourselves or something. Any other thoughts or reflections? Yeah, Kit? mm-hmm okay good you know i think it's interesting because i think we can have i would imagine that if i if, if you like you just wrote your answers down and passed them all up to me that the responses would be pretty all over the map um i mean if you're excited about what it's saying then it's pretty easy to raise your hand and say yeah that's exciting right if you're just kind of like "Eh, i didn't feel anything not many of you're going to raise your hand and said i felt absolutely nothing bob it was awesome right? Okay? But the reality is that when we hear the word of God read like that, even when it's being described in, by a person who's obviously kind of excited about it, that our reaction can be indifferent. We can be confused. We can be excited. We can be full of disdain. We can experience longing. And all of those feelings that we might have are probably going to be based on either past or present circumstances in our life because those are what bring context to the word that we're reading people can be indifferent because they feel like they've heard it all so much that it's kind of lost its impact they can be indifferent because maybe they've never heard it before at all and so they just don't really know what to think They can be filled with warm feelings because they've experienced the power of the word of God in their lives before. And so when they see that or hear that, it brings back great memories. People can have anger well up inside of them. Maybe because they felt like in the past they've put their hope in God's word. And things didn't turn out the way they thought it was going to. And so in some ways maybe they felt abandoned by God. And that can stir up some emotion. So our reactions to God's word can kind of be all over the map. And last week, if you were here, we, we looked at how we generally tend to interact with the scriptures. You know, we talked about how some people kind of go to the scriptures to just kind of acquire information and knowledge, not really necessarily concerned with, is it really changing my character? Is there some transformation that's going on? We looked at a couple of quotes by a German author and pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who kind of wrote in the 1930s and 40s during the um, time of the Nazis in Germany. And we read from a book on his meditations on the scripture, and particularly Psalm 119. And he talked about his approach to scripture was that he would take a, a you know, small chunk and he would, he would go through it very slowly, very patiently, he said, even going word by word. And really asking the Holy Spirit to speak to him and, and he would ponder um, what God was trying to say and what it meant for his life right then at that time. And we acknowledge that for a lot of us that maybe wasn't how we approach scripture and, 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 the, and the starting to act and interact with the scripture in that way might be a pretty significant change for some of us. And so we even gave you assignment uh, last Sunday as you left to take a look at Psalm 25 verses four through seven and just maybe spend a week just kind of soaking in those four verses again and again and really asking God to to speak to us. And I hope that some of you engaged in that and hopefully got something out of it. But as we come to the scriptures, I think a, a really important beginning question for us to ask ourselves is what do we really believe about the Bible? What do we really believe about it? Because I think how we answer that question is really gonna dictate our approach to the scriptures. Let's uh, put the slide up on the screen here this morning. We're going to type in some of your answers. Um, If you notice, hopefully you need to still have your Bibles open there. If you you close them up, open them back up um, to Psalm 19. If you notice the first half of a lot of those verses, David says something very specific about what the word of God is. He says the commandments of God or the precepts of God are this. What are some of the words he uses to describe what it is? What is God's word? Just give me some of those adjectives he uses. Perfect, I heard. Okay. It's perfect. It's what else? Okay. What else? Trustworthy. Radiant. What else is it? Uh, well... I don't know that he says that about the word of God. Yeah, he says the fear of the Lord is pure. What else does he say about God's word? We'll get back to that, though, here pretty soon. Does he say it's sure, righteous? Okay, good. So this is how he describes it, and those are some pretty powerful statements about God's word. And I can imagine somebody coming up to David and saying, hey, David, tell me what you think about the word of God. And based on how he's writing this psalm, I can kind of see his eyes light up. You know, like when somebody, you know how excited you get when you talk about the thing that's kind of like the most exciting thing? It could be a hobby, it could be your family, your wife, your kids, who knows what, okay? But I could see his eyes lighting up and saying, oh man, let me tell you, God's word is, is righteous and pure and trustworthy. And you can just kind of feel the passion flowing out of him Now I wonder, and one thing that we need to keep in mind is that at this time, all David had was the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's all that he had at that time. And now there's, not that there's not some exciting things in the first five books of the Bible, but there's some parts that we kind of skip over a lot, don't we? Because it's kind of tedious and not that exciting. That's all he had. He didn't even have Anything about Jesus and and all the great things that Christ did that we get excited about when we look at the Word. So think about how excited he might have been if he had the full Bible, okay? He's excited about the first five books, obviously pretty jazzed about it. What do you think your response would be if somebody asked you that same question? Hey, fill in your name. What do you think about the Word of God? What would you say? And what would your level of enthusiasm be in your answer? What does David say the word of God does for us? So this is what it is. What does it do? It what? Revives the soul? Okay, what else? Makes wise the simple? Okay. What else? Gives joy to the heart. Light to the eyes. And look down in verse eleven. There's great reward if we if we keep it, okay? All right. So those are the things that the Word of God does, okay? So it's very obvious that David places extremely high value on God's Word. Very high value. What about us? In relationship to the things in life that we would say that we value, whether that's, you know, our our family, the relationships that we have, um, our career, our possessions, um, our comfort, our faith... Where would we place God's word in terms of the things that we really value in life? Where would it rank for you? Notice I'm not asking you whether you find the Bible interesting or whether you think it's well written or whether there's some really good advice in it or whether it really challenges you. What I'm asking all of us this morning here is what value do we place on it? Look at how Timothy describes the scriptures in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. He says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy says, says that, that this whole, the whole of scripture, that these are God's words for us. And he says it's useful for a lot of different things, And primarily, it's so that the man of God, so that you and I, the men and women of God, can be fully equipped to do everything he calls us to. In other words, God didn't leave us hanging. He didn't just create us and kind of put us down here on earth and say, "Hey, figure it out. He gave us 66 books, 66 books of his word to us. And he gave us people, real people like you and I, who were flawed and messed up, and it's, it's his testimony of interaction with those people over a period of time. And it's filled with truths to guide us on this journey called life. What value do we place on that? God breathed scripture. How do we know if we value it? How do we know if we value it? Well, I guess I would begin by asking this question. When you guys come across trials and trouble in your life when things aren't going well what do you turn to do you turn to his word or like me do you turn to a lot of other things (laughs) maybe to friendships or relationships we get on the phone when things aren't going right we want to hear comfort from someone in our life maybe we go to a various list of escapes Or maybe we distract ourselves with the busyness of our work or our family life, and I've done all of those things. So that's one indicator. What do we turn to when things aren't going well? Another indicator that would show that we value God's Word is how much we allow it to shape our character. When we spend time in God's Word, are we transformed? Are some of those things that we talked about, about what God's Word does, is that happening in our life? Does God's word revive us? Does it give us joy? Does it make wise the simple things in life? And if not, then what's hindering us? What's keeping those things from being true in our lives when we spend time in his word? You know, one of the things that I think is one of the the greatest struggles that we all face is that we all bring a lot of baggage to the table when we sit down and we open up God's word. I think we have a lot of preconceived notions about what the Bible is. I think we have a lot of, of preconceived and just incorrect views of who God is. I think we have a lot of, of false views of ourselves. I think that, um, that we've been so immersed in our culture and our culture's values that it makes it very hard to separate what the culture says is right and true from what God's word says is right and true. And so we come to the table with this just baggage of all of these different misconceptions and preconceived notions about what the Bible is, who God is, who we are, what the culture is saying, and it makes it very hard for us to hear God's word clearly. Let me elaborate on that a little bit. Let me first talk about how our culture can influence the way we approach and value scripture. We've talked a lot around here and over the past few years about how Many of us in a lot of subtle ways and maybe not blatantly, but we've kind of bought into this ideal of the American dream that's really prevalent in our culture. And you guys know the story of the American dream is that, hey, if you want to do something in life, you can do it. You just have to work hard enough and, and uh, you know, jump through the hoops that, that life puts before you. And if you do those things, you ought to be able to get a job that you enjoy and start making some more money. And as you make more money, you can get some bigger and better things and your life can grow more comfortable. And maybe you wouldn't say that that's true for you, but maybe it's what you're hoping will be true for you somewhere down the road. And so you place a pretty high value on that. So if we have even a hint of that in our minds, that that Chasing those things is what's going to bring us happiness. Then when we go to the scripture and we look at verses that basically say the exact opposite about what's going to fill us in life, that it's not going to be the things of this world and and the possessions and treasures of this world, that we can't find ultimate happiness in those things. It talks about serving the widow and the orphan and giving generously to those in need And it asks us to pattern our life after a humble and often homeless Savior. How do those two things go in concert with one another? Well, I would think that if we've bought into, in some ways, this American dream, then when we get to passages in the Scripture that are really challenging, we might kind of turn a few pages or at least grow really good at, at justifying why it's still okay for us to pursue the things we're pursuing, even, we know, even though we know that it doesn't line up with God's word. We become masters at justification. I think the idea of revenge plays a huge part in our culture. You know, when we saw the, the first images of, you know, Osama bin Laden's been killed, just a few hours later, what did they do? They show the streets outside Washington, D.C., you know, the White House, people dancing around. They go to Times Square, and people are throwing this big party Because Osama bin Laden got what he deserved, right? He messed with us, and so we took him out. Our our heroes at the movies, right? You might be able to slap him across the face once, but man, do it twice. And there's going to be heck to pay, right? And Christians, including myself, who follow a God who didn't retaliate when his oppressors came and, and beat him, and in fact prayed that God would forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, We will plop down our $10 and get the big old tub of popcorn out, right? And we will go and we will watch Mel Gibson give it to him, right? You mess with Mel and his family, and I'm not just going to take out one of you. I might take out all of you, right? And so how do we reconcile what we applaud in our culture with a biblical teaching that teaches the exact opposite of that, and how we are supposed to respond and react with people who wrong us in life. As Christians, can we just flip the switch on and off that easily? In an American culture that glorifies freedom and defines it as getting to do what you want when you want to, how do we make that jive with the biblical definition of freedom? Which basically says, yeah, you know what, freedom comes within some God-ordained parameters that God has placed there to protect us and to give us the abundant life that we're looking for, but that that freedom comes through choosing to be obedient to God and choosing to lay down our lives and become servants to him. That's a very different definition of freedom than our culture. What happens when our culture places a really high, or I'm sorry, a really low value on marriage and the divorce rate amongst Christians and non-Christians is roughly the same? And then we come across verses that talk about how precious the marriage covenant is to God, what that relationship means to him, and obviously how God hates divorce. You can see how our culture and the varying levels in which we've kind of bought into some of those lies could really affect us when we try to come to the word of God and hear it clearly without bias, without all these preconceived notions. In addition to cultural obstacles to overcome, we also, like I said, we have distorted views of ourselves, we have distorted views of God. And when we come to scriptures, some of us can be really filled with pride and we're not necessarily coming to really hear what it has to say to us. But man, we really hear it saying a lot of interesting things about people we know. And so we say, oh man, that is a great verse. My friend Matt really struggles with that. I'm going to send him a little text. Hey, I was thinking about you today. I'm reading James 2, 3. And I thought, man, you could really use this verse, right? We hear it for other people. <laughs> or we read the Bible in a way. Where we basically just want to look for ways that we can justify the way that we already currently think and act so that we don't really have to change anything. So we skip over the verses that are uncomfortable and we find the ones that we think, ooh, that kind of matches the way I already think. I'm going to commit that one to memory. Instead of considering that we may have something to learn or that possibly perish the thought we might be really wrong on something. That we just missed and totally needs to be turned around maybe our preconceived notion about the bible is that it's old and irrelevant doesn't have anything to do with our our current present day struggles or that god is so disappointed in me that i don't even really want to open up the bible (laughs) because all i hear is just the voice of judgment and guilt and i just don't want to deal with that So because that's the misperception I have of myself or God's view of me, I I just don't even go there. So do you see all the potential baggage we could bring to the table when we open the Word of God? Let me ask you this question. Uh, I mentioned uh, verse 9. Take a look at verse 9. It kind of seems out of place, kind of odd with this passage because it says something a little bit different. Why do you think that David slips verse 9 into here? He's talking about all these things about God's word, and then all of a sudden he says the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Why do you think he puts verse 9 in there? How many of you are just waiting for me to answer the question? Yeah, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah, if we don't have the proper perspective for who God is, and, and that phrase, the fear of the Lord, really I've kind of translated as just kind of having a healthy respect for God then yeah, that, that, what's gonna happen then is those, these laws, these commands, these precepts are gonna feel like huh, something weighty and heavy kind of pressing us down, not something that's gonna give us life and freedom. So it's, it's important that we begin with a proper view of who God is. Let's look at verse 10. Verse 10, David describes the commands of God as not just more precious than gold. He says much, much pure gold. Not just sweeter than honey, but sweeter than honey from the comb. <laughs> his value on the word of God is extremely obvious. Where does this passion, where does his passionate value come from? Well, if you know much about the life of David, if you've read some of the Old Testament, you know that he experienced the blessings and the curses in his life of either being obedient or disobedient to the word of God. He had seen the great calamity that his disobedient actions had brought on himself and on the other people around him in his life. And he had also seen the tremendous blessing of some of the times when he got it right and was obedient to the word of God even when it was difficult. And I think one of the the challenges that we face as people who come to the word of God is that we um, we recognize that obeying or disobeying God's word doesn't always lead to immediate consequences or rewards sometimes the disobedient in the world or at least the people that we deem are disobedient seem to be prospering and sometimes the people we look at and say man they're really trying to be obedient to god and their life's falling apart and so that's hard for us to reconcile and you can look at just one example from david's life david as a young boy this prophet samuel came into town and anointed him to be the next king But the problem was is that there was already a king in place. His name was Saul. And so David tried to honor God. He tried to submit himself to Saul's authority, tried to be a help to Saul, tried to honor him. And Saul becomes jealous of David, tries to kill David. So David has to flee and go into the land of his enemies and hide out in caves running for his life. That's what he got for being obedient. Jesus, being obedient to God's word, was crucified and killed. We have to be careful and prayerful as we try to understand that God's ways are not ours. And it's not always going to look like we want it to look or like we hope it looks. But we have to trust, as David says in Psalm 19, that in the end, if we value God's word, if we put our hope and trust in it and we are obedient to it, that it will lead to great reward in our lives. But we have to let go of the timing of that and the picture of what that's going to look like. We have to really trust that God is good, that he has our best intentions in mind if we're faithful to him, that he'll work things out according to his plan in our life. So in the end, this passage for me, I think it really comes back to what we value and what value we place on the word of God in our lives. And depending on how we answer that question, we might need to all start admitting some things. Some of us this morning might need to admit, I don't put a whole lot of value on the word of God. Maybe the only time that I open the Bible is here for this one hour on Sunday morning. Others of us might need to admit, kind of in that, like that verse we looked at in James last week, if you remember, we looked at the verse that talks about um, that the, the guy who goes and looks himself in the mirror, and he sees his reflection, but when he walks away, he can't remember what he looked like. That some of us, when we come to the Bible, and we spend time with it, when we walk away, a few hours later, a few minutes later, we really couldn't tell you what we really just read, It really didn't mean a whole lot to us. Maybe we're just kind of going through the motions, doing it because we know we should, or so we can check it off our list so we can feel like a good Christian. But we're not really interested in whether it really changes us or not. We're not really taking the time to really ponder it and allow it to really transform us and ask the deep, deep questions. I would imagine that almost all of us here this morning need to admit that we might have some wrong information about God we might need to admit that we've allowed our culture to kind of infect us in some ways that make it hard for us to really accept God's word, even especially when it challenges us and pushes the envelope a little bit with what is true. I think a lot of us probably need to admit that we have a distorted view of ourselves, maybe a distorted view about the nature of God, and probably both. And all of that baggage keeps us from coming to God and really hearing his word clearly. And so a healthy posture, I think, for us kind of beginning today is maybe the next time you go to God's word or before you do, whether that's later tonight or maybe tomorrow morning, is that we need to just start by just confessing some things to him and saying, God, man, I'm I'm struggling. Because I'm not sure that I'm really open to really hearing what you have to say to me clearly. I've got some things that need to be sorted out and revealed to me. I need you to bring light to my eyes so that I can see myself accurately, be honest with who I am and my flaws, that I need to see you clearly. I might have some really bad misconceptions about who you are and what you want from me in life that just need to be cleared up. God, help me to put your word into proper value in my life so that when I come to your word, it does do those things for me that that you promise it can do, that it can bring joy, bring light, give me wisdom. All those things. Revive me. In a lot of ways, as I was reading through this this week, I felt like, remember how we talked about at the beginning of that that message on the kingdom of God way back at the beginning of the school year, and we talked about one of the pre- requisites of understanding the kingdom of God was that we all had to be born again, that we had to be willing to admit that maybe we were totally wrong on this whole thing, this Christianity thing. I think in a lot of ways we need to do that with the scriptures as well. Some of us need to come to God and say, you know what, God, I think maybe I've got it all wrong. Maybe I thought I knew a lot about you and about what it means to be a Christian. I'm not sure I do. I'm just going to humbly come to you and I'm going to ask you, God, if there are some things that I need to see some misconceptions and some false things that I've bought into, please, I want you to wipe those things away so that I can really hear you and understand you clearly. We might need to relearn the ways and the paths that God has for us. And so what I'd like you to do as you move forward here from the day is I want you to kind of combine, try to combine the things that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, the stuff that we talked last week about coming to the Word of God and really coming as a learner, somebody who really wants to just take their time with it and meditate on it and allow it to speak to us and really get to the root of some of the things that might be off in our souls and our spirits. Not rushing through it, not trying to accomplish reading so many books by such amount of time. (laughs) It doesn't really matter if you do that, if it doesn't change you in the process. So let's all slow down a little bit and then take what we talked about this week. Come to the word of God, humbly say, God, I think I need some help getting some clarity on your word. Let's pray towards that end this morning as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for what your word is. It really doesn't matter what our opinion of it is. You say it is perfect and true and trustworthy and faithful and sure. So God, that's what it is. We need to realign ourselves with the truth and Lord, thank you for just the amazing promises about what it can do for us. Lord, that your intention in giving us your commands was to bring us joy and freedom and life. And God, just to give us insight and light so we can see the world for what it truly is. Lord, we want those benefits. God, I pray that you would help us to place more value on your word. I pray that when people ask us about our relationship with you, about what the word of God means that, that there would be a, a sense of excitement and passion. God, that your word would take on new meaning for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you gave us, you gave us your Bible. God, your words to us to guide us on this life. I pray that we would trust you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us to close in worship this morning.